Welcome to episode 777 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I am Justin Mason, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? Hey, I uh, survived tornado this week, so I've had snow and a tornado in the last 72 hours here at my house. You know, weather gone wild, but happy I'm here to record Sunday. Yeah, we're uh, having some uh, weird weather. Usually we get the high winds in like uh, you know, October, November, and th- that's when they shut down all the power. But we're having huge like 40-mile-an-hour gust winds here, so hopefully the power doesn't go out while we're mid-recording. Uh, but just in case, we brought in some backup. We brought in a ringer. We brought in my good friend, Alex Fast. Alex, how you doing? It is a it's a pleasure to be here. I'm up in New York where it's a, a balmy 30 degrees, just really lovely weather. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to be here recording with you guys. Thanks for having me. Well, it's always a pleasure to get to talk to you. I, I, I haven't had you on this podcast yet, though, so uh, welcome to your first episode of The Sleeper in the Bus. So. Hey, I got a question. Did, did you bring along sound effects, though? Oh, I did. That's all uh, Nick. That's all Nick. It. Yeah, yeah I'm it. sorry. That's that's all Nick with the sound effects. If you want, I can go YouTube the guy from uh, Police Academy and have, you know, just oh like God. a bunch of those buttons. <laughs> Did you bring any like Nick dad jokes? Did I bring any? You know what? I don't want to spoil it so early, uh, ah. but I'll see if I can drop some in and get some real solid groans out of you guys over the course of the uh, over the course of the cast. Uh, I'm sure everybody at this point knows who you are, but uh, for those who may not know who Alex Fast is, why don't you give them a rundown on who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm Alex Fast. You can find me on Twitter at AlexFast8. I am, uh, you know, funny to introduce myself like this, but the the vice president of PitcherList, uh, which is very bizarre to say. Uh, PitcherList, so yeah, I work over at PitcherList to do the podcast with Nick. Uh, we just released our PitcherList 5.0. You should go check it out. I think I'm supposed to introduce myself as uh, as F. FSWA award winner. Yes, uh, I was going to bring that up. But my the vice president crap. Who cares? The award winning <laughs> stuff. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Very, very bizarre. Very surreal. We won for our. Um, it was a big team effort. Won for our CSW rates, which uh, you should go check out over at Pitchlist on our new leaderboard. Um, yeah, it was. That was crazy. That was a very shocking night, and really an honor to to be to be nominated and then to win was just very surreal. Uh, well, it, well deserved, and I, I, I'm sure I was along with a lot of other people who are really rooting for you to take down that award. Uh, glad to see you do it. Um, uh, you can reach Jason on Twitter at Jason Collette, me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB. And when we have someone for pitcher list, we we talk pitching. So we're gonna talk mostly pitching, but first we need to have a little Rays corner because the Tampa Bay Rays in the middle of the Barf League draft. Uh, and for those who don't know, I, I throw a uh, industry draft, mostly industry guys, a, a few kind of regular Joe sprinkled in uh, in San Francisco every year. And in the middle of the draft, or really close to the end of the draft, the Tampa Bay Rays made a trade, trade uh, trading for uh, Manny Margot, and they send Emilio Pagan over to San Diego. So, Jason, I know you being a huge Rays homer. I've got to be excited. For Manny Margot, aren't you? Is he there? Did we lose him? <laughs> oh, did I go on mute? Yeah, here we go. <laughs> oh, I, I thought that was a, I thought that was on purpose. Yeah. Silence. I thought. Yeah, that, me too. I, was like, I thought you were taking so me and Paul stick. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I mean here's, and this isn't wearing a raise hat. This is just from watching a team play. You know, I'll make the thing is, 
you guys know how much I hate Kevin Kiermeyer. I hate him. The guy he blocks me on Twitter, first of all. But uh, second, besides that, I don't. He has not. I love him in the field. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's just at the plate, he has not shown any development for me, and that's where it hurts. But you can't take that glove out of the field because there's been such a tremendous drop off when he hasn't been on the field, and that's the problem. Is he hasn't been on the field? You, you go look at the five year injury log in the Baseball HQ uh, annual, and his his part of that page is like half a page. It's 16 missed 54 days with a fractured left hand. 17. Uh, missed 70 days with a fractured right hip, 18, 65 days with a thumb tear, and then last year sprained his thumb again and only missed 11 days. Now, the last two are are, ba- are base running issues and him sliding head first and different, but I mean, that's a lot of time. And when, you're de- when your outfield defense is built around an elite center fielder that's missing a third of the season every time, there's been a big drop-off. Uh, you know, last year they were running Heredia out there, but again, he only, he only missed 11 games. But in the day- games where you're giving him time off, there was a tremendous drop-off. Now you have Margot, who's a really nice counter to to Kiermaier with the righty-lefty. I know Kiermaier hit lefties uh better last year but on the whole it's not been good uh, and so now you've got a nice platoon and there's no drop off on defense hell people were making jokes this morning about a two-man outfield because you could probably get away with it with certain hitters with having Margot playing left center and Kiermaier playing right center and running a five uh, five infielders uh, type of thing so I that part about it I like and if the Rays because you know I, I like Randy or Rosarena but I also think he needs more time to bake and triple play. And now he can play every day so they can see what he had rather than sitting on the bench and, and rotating around through that. So, it's I mean, the bullpen is an area of strength. It's kind of funny to say that given like last year. We are like, oh, my God, where is it going to be? But if they could trade from one place in this team, this was it. Uh, and the spot, Pagan's had a lot of work. Uh, it makes the San Diego bullpen ridiculously deep if Pagan continues to pitch at the level he has the last couple of years. Uh, so I know I've said a lot, so I'll stop and let you guys weigh in, and then we can back and forth a little bit. Well, Alex, so yesterday I doubled up on closers fairly early in this mm-hmm. uh, Barth League draft I was in. I took uh, Kirby Yates in the seventh round and then uh, double-tapped on Roberto Osuna in the eighth round. So how worried should I be about Kirby Yates now that Emilio Pagan is in San Diego? I mean, I think everyone should uh, always be worried about closers no matter what because every year we see an increase in how many relievers get saves last year more relievers got saves than at any other year in the history of the sport and I thought that record was broken uh, in 2018 and then it was broken again for I believe the third consecutive year in 2019 so you're always going to have to be worried about saves but if someone's job is safe I do think that Kirby Yates is I mean Pagan could steal a few saves here or there but I imagine they utilize him a little bit more like they did that Craig Stamen role last year or the Wingenter came in a couple times and got a few holds there I think he's probably just going to be that eighth inning guy to, to help shorten games a little bit I don't think he's going to steal you know more than like four or five saves from Yates yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, Kirby Yates led the league last year in saves. So mm-hmm. even if he loses five or six, that's still 35 saves for, for Kirby Yates. So uh, as long as he doesn't have a, some sort of huge skill deterioration or gets hurt, I think Pagan is kind of that setup or fireman role. This is I don't want to spoil to I'm doing a talk on saves at first pitch Florida at the end of the month, but I'm going to spoil a little bit of it here to make you feel better. Mason, there were only two there were only two closers last year who got 80 percent or more of a team saves just two. 
uh, and those were Kirby Yates and Roberto Ozuna. Yeah, I, I, if anybody was wondering why I did what I did, that's exactly why. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, All right, uh, let's go ahead and talk about pitchers. Uh, we put together a list of 10 guys, uh, kind of contributions from all of our thoughts. But when we have a talk with Alex Fast, we have to talk about Caleb Smith. Uh, and so that's where we'll lead off. So, Alex, I, I, are you still a Caleb Smith guy, or have you come to Jesus after my predictions from last year came true? I've seen his ways, and I have uh, refuted them. Um, I, I am back <laughs> on, the, on the Caleb Smith train. Uh, and uh, let me at least tell you why, or at least give you my side of the story. Obviously, like, yes. Yeah, um, while last year I started off uh, correct, this is why you don't take victory laps in April. Uh, because by the end of the year, you, I was very wrong. It was absolutely terrible. He started the year off with a 310 ERA, 366 FIP, uh, 343 Sierra in the first 61 uh, innings pitched. Beautiful 34% K rate, 7.6% walk rate before he hits the IL. Comes back, everything shoots up. 5.36 ERA, 5.77 FIP, 22% K rate, 10% walk rate. Come June, the fastball rate skyrocketed up to about 61%, and everything else just fell away towards the end of the year. It was just fastball slider, that changeup just completely eschewed month by month. Completely lost the feel for that fastball. The zone rate went from 62.5% in June down to 43% in July. The zone rate in that slider joined him. I think at the end of the day, we learned exactly the kind of ceiling and floor for him. Um, before the hip injury, the swinging strike rate in that fastball in the zone was 18.5%. I bring a swinging strike rate on fastball in the zone up because Jason Collette and his wisdom made me look that up because it's a great thing to keep in mind. That swinging strike rate on fastballs in the zone was better than Chris sales better than Brandon Woodruff's better than Blake Snell's the CSW on that pitch was top 25 the zone rate was top 30 then comes the hip injury zone rate drops down to 47 percent which is 111th that was down 10 full ticks the CSW falls down I completely understand the volatility and I understand that there's a lot to be scared of but where he's going right now I think there's a good amount of upside that's there I think we're really not taking into account how bad that hip injury may have been I mean, the the results to me speak to how bad it was. I just don't think all of a sudden that command rate in his fastball is going to persist over the full course of a year. There's obviously volatility there because he's going to be able to, you know, lose that fastball every once in a while, which makes him scary. But where he's going in drafts, I really don't have a problem with. Jason, rebuttal. So. Yeah, not not really much of a rebuttal. Alex hit a couple of good points, but one in particular when he talked about how the fastball lost its effectiveness, and he he talked about it earlier when he stopped losing when he stopped using the changeup. And if your if your fastball is just good, a good changeup makes your fastball better. For some reason, he's like, eh, I'm not going to throw the changeup anymore. So he didn't have it wasn't able to hide it as well, and then the fastball started getting damaged. So he just started throwing more sliders as the year went on. Perhaps it was. I know he went on the uh, the aisle with a, a hip injury, but I can't imagine the hip injury is what decide uh, what led him to decide I'm just going to stop throwing my changeup and take it from a 24 percent usage rate in April to a 10 percent usage rate by season's end. I would like to see him bring that pitch back and like if you made an x-axis about the effectiveness of his fastball and his changeup utilization, I bet they meet somewhere right around the middle of the season. Uh, and if he's going to take that step forward, he's got to bring that pitch back. This this fastball slider stuff uh you know give me a third pitch but if, if it's gonna disappear then i'm gonna stay away even as current price well here's the thing the current price is 
very, very cheap. Uh, online championships, uh, which are 12-team leagues. Uh, and I know, Alex, you play in a lot of 12-team leagues, and I know a lot of listeners play in 12-team leagues. And I think we can start using that as a data set as opposed to the draft champions uh, because it's just a higher level of play and the more recent drafts. Uh, he's going to pick 238. I mean, he's going around guys like mm. Tanaka uh, and Miles Mikolas. And at that point, it's probably worth the chance that he figures things out again. Because like you said, he was great early on. Uh, however, I don't know that it was all the hip injury. He's still giving up a lot of home runs, still had yep. games where he was walking too many guys. Uh, I think there's obvious... I, I think, Alex, you kind of nailed it when you said the whole in season last year, we saw the ceiling and the floor. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you got to pay for. But at pick 238, I'm all about taking that upside, and if it doesn't work out, you drop him real fast. Uh, so I'll be interested to see how the new dimensions of Marlins Stadium plays for him. Uh, mm, because, great point. Because, yeah, I mean, he was safe at home because that park was played so well for him. If the park doesn't play as well for him, we could see uh, regression at home, which would be a really, really bad thing for him. So, uh, yeah, he's probably not going to end up on a lot of my teams, but at the current price, I don't think it's a bad uh, buying opportunity. Is the feud Is the feud over? Is that it? I mean, where'd you rank him in your ranks? Uh, I had him in the mid sixties, low seventies. Oh, yeah, that's. I'm. I'm not gonna qual- uh, You know, squabble with that. What I am gonna squabble with because we're gonna end the Caleb Smith feud and start the Jeff Samarja <laughs> feud. So, because <laughs> Alex, where did you rank Jeff Samarja? Oh, I, is there a negative ranking? I don't think he's not in my top 100. How it's permitted here. dare it's you? Permitted here. Okay. How dare it's... you? Defend yourself. Okay. Uh, all right. So, obviously, look, you, you got exactly what you wanted from Samarja last year. It didn't really hurt your ratios. Got you a couple of wins. Didn't give you all that many Ks, but he really he didn't really hurt you. The bad news is that Velo did not return what we were accustomed to seeing in 2017. The Velo even dropped from that injury shortened 2018 saw an interesting change in pitch utilization. And this is kind of the, the, the big thing for me with Samarja fastball usage goes up to its highest rate in 2016 cutter usage goes up to its highest usage ever. And he gets great results, right? The P valve on the four seamer returned the highest P valve of his career. Not very sustainable. The plate discipline stuff is fine. Uh, the cutter, the highest P valve of his career at 13.2. He put that pitch in the zone more than ever got the lowest swinging strike rate in the pitch. Uh, and then once, once again, he's kind of relying on these uh, luck with the batted ball metrics, right? And that, to me, is the kind of worry with with Jeff Samarja. He amps up that fastball usage, amps up that cutter usage, and then if you look at the difference between his his Wobacon and his ex-Wobacon, so his Woba on contact, uh, on all the pitches that he threw over 500 times, you're not going to like what you see. I mean, everything in his plate excuse me in his batted ball metrics indicates regression on almost all of his pitches we talk a lot about um plate discipline metrics being sticky year over year but things like expo bacon or woe bacon excuse me not being sticky there could be a lot of regression there so if he maintains that velocity maintains the kind of subpar plate discipline metrics then we're relying on the batted ball stuff to remain the same and i just don't really see that happening sub 200 babips on both of those fastballs 
Jason, please come to my defense. Nope. Uh, <laughs> what is wrong right with now, this podcast? If we rewind this last year, if this was last year, I would have come to your defense because last year I had Samarja in my value in the scrap heap article for the Rotowire magazine saying, pick him up. He is absolutely dirt cheap. There are things to like. Well, he ended up performing last year. But for me this year, Samarja would be a guy that I would roster very late and be very quick to cut if I didn't like what I saw out of the gate. I would not give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, this is the final year of his contract. Quite honestly, like he he is enough if he wanted to make go to the bullpen uh, and, and find a future there because at 30, maybe he's not ready to get out of the game, but the game is ready for him to get out of the rotation. Uh, this, would, this is going to be the last year uh, of him being a starter. And for a Giants team that is not going to compete, he can do this. Uh, you know, for another, it reminded me when I was looking at 200 inning pitchers the other day, I completely forgot that James Shields threw 200 innings in his final career and never, uh, his final ending, uh, final uh, year of his career and never threw another pitch. It's like, that's kind of what I feel could happen here if the Giants are like, ah, screw it, we're paying them. We can't trade that. Nobody wants them. You know, fine. And he ends up throwing 200 innings and then walks away from baseball. But it's not going to be on my roster, dude. Well, I, I, one, you get to get them very, very cheaply. So let, let's start by saying, like, this is a straight-up lottery ticket. Uh, pick uh, 321 in the online championship. So you're taking them at go- uh, around guys like teammate Kevin Gosman. You know. Uh, but there's upside with Gosman. Yeah. There's also a lot of downside. Would you rather have Jeff Samarger or, I mean, Anibal Sanchez or Chris Bassett? You know, I would rather have Chris Bassett all day long over Samarja. Like I also can make days the, a week. I can make the case for Sanchez too, because he's going to get you a lot more wins on that team. If he's in the rotation the whole year, or if he's, you know, the thing about Samarja is in twelve-team leagues, I understand people not wanting to take him because there isn't a huge upside. But in fifteen-team mm-hmm. leagues, in NL only, this is a guy that's going to accumulate. I mean, before he got injured, uh, what last year in in two thousand eighteen. Uh, I mean, he had five straight seasons of 200 innings pitched. Now, they weren't all great ratios all all the time, but he accumulates stats for you. In those deeper formats, that's important. And last year, coming off of the injury, 181 uh, innings, 352 ERA. Yes, the FIP and did not look good, but this is a guy who's consistently uh, outpitched his his underlying metrics. Plays in San Francisco. I don't think, unless they eat the rest of that money, that they're going to trade him. I mean, I guess if he, but if they trade him, you just drop him for the next guy. You know, unless he. Justin, ends up let's in talk. The- let's talk lawn work. Since since you're the since you're the biggest fan of the uh, the lawn maintenance pitcher, mm-hmm. Kyle Gibson or I, Jeff I took, Samarja. I took Je- I took Kyle Gibson and then Jeff Samarja back to back rounds yesterday. <laughs> That was the perfect question. Wow. Yeah. I mean, because ironically, Kyle Gibson's going two rounds later in the online drafts right now. I, I don't understand why people hate Kyle Gibson. Like I don't I, either. This is, I mean, I would rather have Kyle Gibson. I was just looking through pictures on the board, like, who's after? I'm looking down, and, I, and Kyle, I'm like scrolling down, and I'm like, wow, there's Kyle Gibson sitting there. And uh, with the report, too, that he had uh, diverticulitis last year, and that really uh, kind of messed with him. Uh, and f- 
for everybody who reached out to me on Twitter and told me what diverticulitis actually is, I appreciate it. I guess it's a colon issue. Uh, but it, you thought it was an STD, didn't you? <laughs> I, I thought it was a stomach <laughs> issue, like you know. So, which I mean, they're kind of connected, right? Stomach goes yes. to colon, so front yeah. end, um, back end. You know, it's all. I, I mean, I love Kyle <laughs> Gibson. I, I'm getting a lot of shares already because, like you said, Gibson's going later than Samarja. You know, these are kind of dart throws. Um, and I know that you know, Alex and you know, and Nick, when you when you guys talk on uh, on the corner. Great podcast, by the way. Please go listen to On the Corner. Uh, you. you guys talk about wanting to take the high upside dart throws towards the end. I, yeah. I I like that idea, unless you've taken some of those in draft. And in 15-team leagues, sometimes you take some of those guys, you know, those high upside dart throws in draft, and then you need the stabilizers at the back yeah. end of uh, your rotation. And guys like Kyle Gibson and Jeff Samarja provide that. No, that's a great point. I mean, if you're if you're filling the middle of your draft with like the the Jesus Lazardos and the Michael Kopex and you want something that's a little bit more stable that you know is going to get you innings in a roto league at the end of the draft, I'm 100% with you on that. All right, let's uh let's move on over and talk about Tyler Glass now because Jason wanted to talk about Tyler Glass now and we we don't talk about the Rays enough on this podcast. <laughs> that's right. So Jason uh, Tyler Glass, now, I, I don't know if you saw the Pagoda projection, but it had him as, like, the number 55 starter coming into the season if, if you translate it yeah. into Roto dollars, which was shocking to me. So where are you at on Tyler Glass now? Are you buying the projection, or are you buying the kind of breakout we saw before the injury last year? Yeah, I mean, is it shocking, though? Because if you think back to last year, early breakout, then when he came back, all he did was open. You know, he didn't do it, so how much... how how much do you think he's going to pitch this year? The reason why I wanted to bring much is because it's new pitch season. And Tyler Glass now has said he is not going to throw his changeup, which he only threw 30 times last year, but he's turning it into a splitter. Uh, and for him, that's he needs that. I mean, there's been two good articles. Uh, I tweeted them out earlier. Uh, Danny Russell from D-Rays Bay wrote something back in late April about Glass now struggle with the changeup. Uh, he says he has such huge hands, he can't throw a regular circle change. He can't throw a straight change. Ball gets too buried into his palm, so he's been he's been throwing a Vulcan change, but it has not been a good pitch. Watch video; it's mostly a, a bounce pitch, something he throws when he's well ahead in the account. Uh, but he wants to use it a splitter. Maybe he's been hanging out with Oliver Drake and, and, and getting some split love there. But he needs something to go the other way because you know the fastball yeah it's electric and it's high in the zone but it's rather straight uh curveball drops off that but you, if he's going to be a pitcher uh starting pitcher he's gonna have to have something else to use uh particularly against lefty so i'm curious to see how this pitch plays up in the spring uh because he needs it but i i'm not shocked by the projection only because you have to have durability concerns he missed half the season last year with this forearm issue and it you know it missed surgery which is great i thought he was done uh and he came back and was effective but it's like how are they going to use him i meant to bring this up when we were talking about kiermaier time Understand, man, this this team is going to be platooned everywhere. Uh, and they may, with, with the 26-man roster, with, uh, with the change in the IL rule that is now 15 days instead of 10, you can't just move guys up and down as easily as you were last year. Uh, so I think on, on, the, on the offensive side, lots of platoons. You look at the righty-lefty balance the team was putting together. Uh, they just took Pagan, who gave him 70 innings out of the bullpen. Uh, but they may try to do some things um, with shuttling pitchers this year. But I don't, 
yeah, I would say I didn't look at the projection for Glass on to see how many innings they put him down at. But for me, I, my comfort level is like 145, 150. After that, yeah. I'm getting greedy. ATC uh, projected him for 144. Uh, Death Shirts and Steamer at 163. Yeah, to me, it's like I said, 145-ish. After that, I'm getting greedy. Yeah. And my biggest issue with Glass now is, at, you know, if he, if you're projecting 145 innings, uh, that's a pretty steep price to pay when he's going pick 61 overall. Yeah. Like that, to yeah. me, I just, I can't pay for that that few innings right there. Now, they may be great innings, but you're also talking about a guy who only pitched in, what, 63 innings between AAA and the majors last year? So, uh, that just seems People so People are drafting. <laughs> They're drafting yeah. ceiling here. I mean, the thing is, you know, there are other rotations where guys will pitch more innings because the bullpen sucks. It's like, okay, the pit, the, the manager's like, all right, what do I do? Do I leave him in there, yank him out? That's not the case here. I mean, even with trading Pagan, this bullpen still has a lot of depth with Anderson, Castillo, Alvarado, Rowe, Poche, Drake, mm-hmm. Richard, too, I like a lot in limited. Uh, that's another guy, you know, doesn't have the third pitch, but in the uh, in the using him as a as a as a Ryan Yarbrough type. They're gonna have Banda coming back, Beaks, Honeywell at some point this year, McKay. It's like they've got a lot of arms on the cusp of the major league that they could bring into this bullpen. So they don't have to let they don't have to let guys go an extra batter or two and, and be overexposed to the times through the order penalty. And for me, if this splitter doesn't come along for Glass now, maybe he's an 18 to 21 batter guy and he's out. Uh, so it depends how efficient he is uh, through his 18 to 21 batters. But there's enough depth in this bullpen where they don't have to screw around and overexpose him. Speaking of which, before we move uh, it over to uh, Alex to get his thoughts on Glass now, who do you think is the closer coming into the air, and who do you think gets the most saves in Tampa? Uh, oh, you were talking to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking to you, Jason. Uh, the... So the easy money is going to be just throw it down on Nick Anderson. Uh, I would not. I would not exclude the possibility of Andrew Kittredge stepping into the role at some point too, because if you look back the last couple of years. I mean, yeah, it was. You know, they had Rafael Soriano. If you want to compare seasons, like what Soriano did in 2010 when the club won 97 games, is a lot like what Pagan did last year. And then the following year, Kyle Farnsworth came in and did a good job later on. And then, you know, uh, more recently, they had Alex Colome back to back. But then who's going to replace Colome? He did so good. Well, then here comes Sergio Romo. Then they got rid of Sergio Romo. Who's going to replace him? Here comes Pagan. So it's all, it's like sometimes you look at it and there's been a more logical guy. Last year was supposed to be Alvarado. Alvarado you know, could not find the strike zone. Then he ended up getting hurt. Who's to say it doesn't happen with Nick Anderson either? He looked amazing, phenomenal, every superlative you want to use. It was fantastic once he, made the came, uh, once he came over in the trade. But that said, I... If, if Kittredge is sitting around late in reserve round, I'm, I'm grabbing him because he looked really good last year once they reworked some stuff with him in AAA and he came back throwing harder. And you look at some of the skills and you, know, you look at what he did last year at the major league level at a skill level. Don't look at the outcomes. Look at the skills. You could line it up and say, yeah, that'll play as a closer. All right, Alex, what are your thoughts on Tyler Glass now? And then if you want to throw in your closer thoughts uh, for the Rays as well. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to start with that real quick because I actually want to amend something I said at the beginning of the cast. There were a few more guys who got over 80% of their team saves. I think there was like actually six or seven I sorted incorrectly, so I wanted to make sure I corrected that, although there were uh, far fewer than there were the year before. The Rays were one of two teams that had more than 10 guys get a save last year, which is, <laughs> which is, which is crazy. Okay, it was them and the Braves. Okay, so I'm going to read you everyone who got a save last year for the Rays. Pagan, Castillo, Alvarado, Drake, Poche, Fairbanks, Sledgers, Beaks, Rowe, Caleric, and Wood. What about Yancey? I maybe would have got six yeah. of those. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's insane. So, like, obviously, they're not thinking about this from a fantasy perspective. You know what I mean? And as a result, I usually just stay away at the value that they go out from at from the raised closers. They're like one of the guys where it's like, I'd rather if someone's going to take Anderson, I'd rather take Castillo either off the waiver wire or from my last pick because he's still going to poach a good amount of saves. You know what I mean? Um, in terms of glass. Now, I think Colette kind of hit the nail on the head. The one thing I wanted to, I wanted to say is like, when he said he was learning a new pitch, I got very excited. Obviously, that's a very exciting thing when a guy needs a third pitch. But when I found out it was the splitter, I wasn't as excited because it's such a feel pitch. You can just ask, you know, Tanaka, who completely lost the feel for it last year, or a guy like Darvish, who struggled with the feel for it a little bit and has over the course of his career. So when you kind of add that to the fact that he's a guy with these very large hands who struggles, who could struggle with the grip on this pitch, it makes me a little bit worried. But with that said, that fastball curveball is just you know, elite, that combination is elite. And I'm going to say this, but, but that belief is in your contract that you sign at the pitcher list. You have to hate all pitchers with splitters. (laughs) So I'm just going to put that out there because I know Nick mandates it. Uh, Just kidding. Uh, For those who don't know, Nick Pollock (laughs) hates a splitter more than anybody else. Uh, And so that's my joke here. (laughs) It's true. That's the Kool-Aid we drink over there. for sure. (laughs) All right, let's go ahead and move over and, uh, and talk about Eduardo Rodriguez. Coming off a big season, but has been a guy that's been injury prone. Uh, if this trade ever goes through, Boston really does need him to stay healthy in this rotation. So, Jason, where are you at on Eduardo Rodriguez? Uh, I am not at uh, at all uh, because it gets back to it gets back to my my uh, factor is on how many guys throw 200 innings every season. I went on a bit of a Twitter rant about this uh, yesterday, a couple of weeks ago, and I brought it up again yesterday. You know, when you look at the we, about 15 guys a year or so do it, and then 60% of those guys fail to repeat the next season. And so I'm going to read you off the list of pitchers that got the 200 innings last year. Verlander, Bieber, Bauer, Cole, Strasburg, Grinke, Lynn, Miner, Bumgarner, DeGrom, Rodriguez, his new teammate Marco Gonzalez, Andrew Nola, or Aaron Nola, Patrick Corbin, and Jose Barrios. Those are your 15 pitchers. So by the last five years, each of the last five years, 60% of those guys have not repeated. So we've got to eliminate nine guys based on the averages that aren't going to repeat. And Eduardo Rodriguez, given his, his his injury history with that knee, last year was the first time in three years he had not missed time from issues with that right knee, which is his plant leg. And that's why I've, I have a lot of concern here, and I did like him quite a bit last year. But I have a concern. You look at that entire Boston rotation between the issues with Sale, Eovaldi, what I bring about the about repeating 200 innings with Gonzalez and Rodriguez. Man, that team could have to slug their way to 90 wins. But this is why I don't like Rodriguez is because he had a big jump in workload uh, year over year, given the, how much time he's missed previously. And 
I just when I when I have to eliminate guys and say, okay, you're not repeating, you're going to get your workload reduced. He just sticks out like a sore thumb. Alex, are you uh, fearful of Eduardo Rodriguez as well? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think one of the big issues, too, is like even when he did see this large increase in innings, all of his plate discipline metrics maintained. There was no increase there. His swinging strike rate was the exact same. His ERA, I mean, that's a little bit separate, but it maintained. His walk rate maintained around 8%. That that changeup is fantastic, obviously. It got that 20% swinging strike rate, but I just worry about if there's another level for him, and then when you add the innings concern to that, I just think it's a little bit crazy where he's going. Yeah, that the hard part is you just don't know what to project. I mean, uh, in terms of his innings workload, and he's going kind of in a in area of guys that I personally like a lot. I mean, he's going right below Zach Gallen, uh, who I love though. Yeah. The, the Zach Gallen news. Uh, is confusing. Um, yes. To say, to say, <laughs> like, I, I don't really understand it, but uh, and I, I don't believe it. For those who don't know, uh, supposedly Zach Gallen is has to compete for the fifth spot in the rotation with uh, Merrill Kelly, who is garbage. So, um, yeah, I. I... <laughs> uh, Wait, I mean... Colette, what were your thoughts on Merrill Kelly? Sorry. He sucks. Yeah. Okay, great. Thanks. Sorry. I, stole a you, du- I, stole a, I stole a Doug Dennis line. He sucks. <laughs> uh, Rodriguez hasn't thrown more than 137 innings in the major leagues before last year. Like This was a huge jump. Uh, up 70 innings. Now, that being said, because he's missed so much time with the knee, he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on the arm over the course of his major league career. Uh, That being said, Boston tearing things down, uh, obviously not a great place to pitch, being in Boston having to go up against uh, the Rays and the Yankees and an upstart uh, 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 Blue Jays team. I mean, at least you get the Orioles, but, uh, you know... That you don't get to play them every every uh, fifth day. So you bring Alex on the podcast and just roll over his yes. team with yes. a semi truck. Yes, oh I my do. God, I'm a Giants fan. Like, what, yeah, like there there are a few teams in this in this world that I get to make fun of. Uh, you're supposed to treat your guests well. You're just like no, no, no. Did you not well. hear the my first appearance on the Pitcherless podcast? <laughs> This is true. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, this is this is gonna be a running theme here. So uh, yeah, I just can't pay the price where he's going. I, I love the skills, and if you could turn off injuries, if we were playing MLB the Show, and you could turn off injuries, I'd be all on board. Uh, but I agree with you guys. I I can't project more than like 160, 165 innings for him, and feel very safe about it. And all the projection systems have him at 184 or 205 or 193. And that just seems uh, setting like you're setting yourself up for failure. That's greed. I mean, I, I, so when a guy takes – when a, a pitcher or a batter takes a significant step forward, I always look for reasons why. And it's like for, for Rodriguez, one of the things that really stood out last year is somehow – he survived the times through the order penalty, whereas in previous years, it has beaten him up. Uh, and there were times last year when it was – I was at a game at Fenway uh, last year, and he was cruising through five and left him in the sixth. He was up five earned runs in the sixth inning, right? Uh, but apparently, those were five of the 23 earned runs he gave up all year in the third time through the order uh, last year. But when you try to look at some of the fortune – 
I mean, how how is it that he's stranding 78% of base runners? Because that wasn't a great bullpen that was coming in behind him last year, but 78% of the base runners stranded, uh, and he was able to survive that despite a 139 whip, a 325 bad bit. You know, there's a lot of skills. 269 batting average, third time through the order, which, by the way, was the highest of his career but everything else played well for him. And so it's like, okay, let's look at what he's done the previous four years. And then last year stands out. Well, I'm going to bet on the previous four years as being the real deal. So that's going to come down. So he's going to come out. Like for me, I'd look at him as a 170 inning guy at peak. I don't see him throwing more than 170. So if you're looking, 193 feels incredibly greedy. All right, let's uh, go ahead and move over to Brandon Bailey. Uh, And... Alex want to talk about him because I, I don't really believe he's a real person. So, uh, Alex, talk about Brandon Bailey for me. Well, yeah, actually, Jason sent him in that text last oh, night. Did and he? I was like, oh, I, oh, I, I, thought, I, was I, thought, like, I thought it was Alex. No, I, was even I was like, oh, my God, we got one. We really got one. Like, we're going <laughs> to talk about an Oriole pitcher. That's not John Means. <laughs> Um, I will say, you know, for me, it's not a coincidence that Mike Elias and Sigmeidel and Eva Rosenbaum, Eva Rosenbaum, excuse me, all come over to the uh, Orioles and then make Brandon Bailey their first pick in the Rule 5 draft, you know? And, and that, to me, is exciting, right? When you get a, for the first time, an, a, a front office that values analytics and they come over and they say, oh, we want that project that we were working on that we drafted, that's exciting to me. I know Eric Longenhangen ranked him 21st in the Orioles farm system, which last year would have been a joke, and this year it's still a joke but it's a less funny joke in my mind because it's actually a top 15 farm system in my eyes at this point not top 10 but top 15 um i tweeted about him the day he was actually picked up and highlighted a few of his pitches i think the changeup is really nice um a lot of his pitches feature some really nice arm side run to them he has this kind of 12-6 breaking ball that's really beautiful i don't really know how frequently he can command that pitch he's not really a velo guy sits kind of in the low 90s with that fastball he's projected to be the fifth starter i imagine he's going to uh fight for that job he's obviously has to stay on the team but he could be in the bullpen fight with david hess and cole stewart you know really tough competition uh, maybe even Dean Kramer although I imagine they're going to wait and bring him up a little bit later in the year either way the stuff is a little bit too raw for me to be taking him in any drafts unless it's like the deepest of deep ALs and even then I'm still kind of worried about him but there is some kind of uh, sexy upside to him that makes him someone I'll probably keep an eye on in spring training all right Jason why did you and want to talk about Bailey well and that's where I am because it's Obviously, this is a deep AL only league type of thing. But you know, as a Rule Five guy, obviously has to stay on the organ, has to stay up at the major league level. So he's going to get work uh, unless he gets hurt or they were like, "Yeah, thanks, but no thanks, we don't need him." But to Alex's point, the the his old front office is the ones. This was the guy that the Astros got when they traded Ramon Laureano to Oakland, uh, and now they let him go for free. So essentially, they let Ramon Laureano go to Oakland for free. Uh, Bang up job there, Houston. Uh, <laughs> and so we have now we have Bailey. And, and one of the things uh, he's actually in my bold prediction article that's going up on Rotowire tomorrow. But he is very much into pitch design. He spent the last couple of winters at driveline. And I, I have two tweets and fascinating Twitter feed, by the way. Uh, recommend you following it because he's got a lot of uh, insight on some things. But he posted two different videos. And, and what I noticed so watching the work he was doing in the bullpen, one from January of 19 and one from 
early January 2020. It's and Alex talked about the velocity earlier in that game, like he in the in the game in the first video, he maxed out at uh, 93. And I watched that video a few times, and he maxed out at 93. The one he shot last month, he was sitting 93. So he's been doing some work. It looks like he's added a little bit of velo to it, uh, and he's been working reshaping his slider uh, and adding a cutter. So he's got like a lot going on. And so I'm very intrigued, and the fact that it's Baltimore, and he's going to have to stay up with the major league roster. And he may pitch in a swing role. Maybe he works in an opener. Baltimore could experiment a little bit. But I'm I'm intrigued by what I see here um, and the potential for growth. And let's understand. I mean, this is a short dude. He's like 5'10". Uh, but if you follow college baseball, pitched very well at Gonzaga. Uh, and you know, so let's see where this goes. One of his tweets is like, you know, 5% of major league pitchers are under six feet. I want to be one of those five. Well, he gets to be one of those 5% this year. Uh, and I'm. I'm curious, like I will be tuning into those games as much as I hate the Orioles broadcasters. I will tune in if Brandon hey. did that team is so bad. Their broadcasters suck. Uh, Gary Thorne. Gary Thorne's terrible. I cannot stand him. Oh my him. God. And the radio even worse. Uh, but that is, that's yeah. When Brandon Bailey's pitching, I'm intrigued because I want to see how this plays out uh, at the, it's really tough for a rule five guy, uh, a pitcher to succeed. Uh, but you know, Here's an opportunity for him to see what he's got. Wide open audition. And again, I, I'm very intrigued here as a like if like in Tout Wars, we have four reserves, like in the fourth round of the reserves. Maybe we have six. Like that's somebody I would throw a dart on. Or even labor at the end of this month. I think we have six there, six round. I would take a chance. Yeah, I think an AL only is your best shot. I mean, there's kind of good news and bad news with with Bailey. I mean, the bad news is ob- is the obvious stuff. He plays for the Orioles in Camden. Uh, his projections and uh, you know, kind of what he's done in the minor leagues uh, the last two years have shown he can be a little homer prone. So playing in that division, playing in Camden, that could be uh, disastrous for him in terms of giving up too many home runs. I love the driveline stuff, uh, and the good news is, like you guys mentioned. Uh, that he was a Rule 5 pick, so he's got to be up with the Major League uh, team the entire time. Uh, how eh, There's even better news, though, because the Orioles' other Rule 5 pick was Michael Rucker, uh, and they're going to pitch him out of long relief uh, for the team, which means that likely Bailey's not going to be transitioned into that kind of role because they've already got someone who they have to keep up with the Major League roster uh, kind of in that role. And the Orioles are in a position where... There's no reason to not just keep a guy up uh, with the team. They're, they're not going to win anything this year, uh, you know, maybe 45 games or something like that. So, uh, <laughs> might... Oh, my God. Murder me! <laughs> <laughs> so you might as well just let him roll. Uh, the problem with a guy like this on an AL-only team, uh, if you have a reserve list, that's great. I know that my original AL-only um, team... Uh, we had to play. There wasn't a reserve list. You had to play everybody who was active uh, on you know, on your team. And a guy like this can sink you because if he's just bad, there's not much more to go get on the waiver wire. So uh, I have, uh, I think in a league where you've got a reserve list, snail only, fine. Go ahead and put him on there. Uh, kind of see how he goes early on, and then you can start spotting him in and uh, if he establishes himself as a, a decent enough option, then you know you can start putting him in your rotation on a regular basis. But uh, I, I, I'd have a hard time doing, they're grabbing Bailey other than just a reserve list guy. 
Yeah, I agree. You don't have to talk about the Orioles anymore because we lost every Orioles listener with that Gary Thorne cold take. All, okay? f- all four of them. Face. All four of them. Yeah, they're all gone. <laughs> the offset camera angle. The Gary. Oh no, 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 no. The oh, radio's were now. I will say the TV is we'll, we'll to radio. Your radio absolutely unlistenable. All right. <laughs> okay, absolutely. Because I spent enough. a lot of time in the car, and I'm very sure. attached. To the, I'm very attached to the Rays broadcast of Dave Wells, Andrew, Andy Freed. But yeah, yeah. oh my God, Joe no, Angel. The radios, yeah, Joe Angel, right? Yeah, Joe Angel. Yeah, oh he, 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 he so kind of he doesn't really keep me in the game. I'll give you that. Yeah, so 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 bad. Yeah. All right, go ahead. All right, let's move on and talk about someone who's a little bit better than Brandon Bailey, uh, and talk about Aaron Nola. Nola last year was one of the uh, top picks in fantasy in terms of starting pitchers. People taking him, I believe, inside like the top five to ten starters last year. And while he wasn't awful, he definitely wasn't what you paid for. Uh, three eight uh, three eight seven ERA. Uh, you know the walks went up, the homers went up. Uh, so the question is, this year he's kind of going in this kind of on the fence spot around I think pitcher starting pitcher 15 so Alex what are you doing with Aaron Nola are you staying away or are you buying back in and hoping for a bounce back so for me uh, I don't think it's going to be as bad as it was last year but I definitely don't see him kind of putting up the numbers that he did in 2018 I mean that 2.37 ERA is definitely just not the kind of pitcher that I think he he really is um, there are some alarming things that I noticed in his profile that zone rate hit a career low it's continued this downward trajectory um, there's this metric that I call true F strike which is F strike minus the balls in play because I think that gives us a better idea of what the metric is supposed to do um, how often he's actually getting to 01 counts without balls in play that was uh 51 last year after being at 58 percent in 2018 so dropped seven ticks the curveball swinging strike rate continued its fifth consecutive year falling to a career low 16.3 percent um he went from a top six percent in woba and ex woba down to middle of the pack that Babbitt fell back to 300 from the unsustainable 251 that we saw in 18 uh, all that obviously you know sounds like a lot of alarm bells, but to me, it just says that I wouldn't be taking him as high as where he's been going recently. I can see that home run rate coming back down from Nola. I can get behind that as majority of those home runs, I think, actually came away from Philadelphia. But in order to get back to being that mid three ERA guy, we would need to see those pitches overperform the way that they did in 18 in my opinion. And to me, that's a little bit scary to bank on as like a top five, 10 pitcher off the board. Jason, what are your thoughts on Aaron Nola? Yeah, the issue with him going into last year, he was the wide awake sleeper that everybody was talking about. And he sure. was so wide awake that it flopped. And, and so on that, you would normally think, okay, wide awake sleeper coming off a season where he flopped, let's buy back in. But right now, like you just filtering down to the online draft since January 1st, he's the 15th pitcher off the board. Uh, and there's not a lot of bear. I mean, high of 37 and wow, that's nuts. Uh, low was 62, but he's a 15th starting pitcher off the board and I didn't see it enough. And that's about where he was going last year. So there's really no discount because he, I know he was in the top 20 last year, but he's going right there with Chris Paddock. I, uh, he's, he's in between Giolito and Paddock. He's going ahead of Kershaw, ahead of Darvish, 
ahead of Glasnow, mm. ahead of Severino, ahead of Morton. It's just like, and really why, what I would base this on is getting back to the workload, like 200 innings in over the, each of the last two seasons. We talked about how tough that is to do. And the fact that you're getting the 200 innings means you're going to be able to get the strikeouts, get the opportunities for some of the counting categories. So my guess is that's what people are drafting 200 innings and 220 plus strikeouts each of the past two seasons. But there's no, there's very little, if any, discount here coming off of using the air quotes, a disappointing 2019 season. Drafters certainly don't see it right now. I think if you can get them as your SP2, you're feeling pretty good. Or if yeah. you do something like I did in the Barf League last night where I got him at pick 68, and then on the wraparound, I grabbed Severino. So, yeah, I love and, that. You know, yeah, it's nice. There's, I, I think while Nola maybe doesn't have the upside that we saw in 2018, I still feel like the floor is pretty safe. Like, in a down year last year, he still had a pretty damn good year. Totally, so, yeah. So, if you can rack up those uh, strikeouts uh, and you know decent ratios with a lot of innings and pair it with a guy with higher upside, you know uh, I think you're doing pretty well. So uh, I'm I'm kind of on the fence on Aaron Nola, and it really depends on where he falls in a draft. Like I couldn't do the 37. Uh, that that mm-hmm. to me seems insane. I, I don't know that that's someone who's banking on a huge return to uh, what 2018 was for him, yeah. but. Uh, you know, after pick 50, after pick 60, uh, you know, just a matter of who you're pairing with him. I think it's a good example of of a manager using a pitcher a little more than they normally would like to. Uh, and I haven't dove in to see where if Nola was getting killed on the times of the order penalty. But let's not forget on how much that bullpen struggled last year. And maybe he had to stick in there a little bit longer. And some of the home runs, I'm, I'm using this right now to pull up some uh, to see where he you know how he got hit. He gave up nine of he gave up a third of his home runs third time through the order last year, and yeah. So, uh, yeah, a third of his order uh, batters hit two seventy six against him, slug three uh, and slug four seventy eight. Getting back you now, previously in two thousand eighteen, getting back to the hey, this guy maybe maybe overperformed. So keep this in mind with Eduardo Rodriguez in two thousand eighteen. Uh, Nola's ERA third time through was two thirty five. And they hit 194 and slugged 296 off them last year. 675 hit 276 and slugged wow. 478. So, if you wanted like the down year, you could point to a lot of it being right there. That's what that's, that's how your ERA goes from two something, the low twos to the high threes, that kind of thing right there. But Gabe Kapler left him in because that middle relief for the Phillies sucked. And if you could get if if Nola was in there in that sixth inning and was fighting it, he was like, okay. Uh, this version of Nola is still better than what I have in middle relief right now. I can't. I don't have. I don't have a, a reliable bridge to get me to the eighth and ninth inning. So I'm going to go ahead and stick with this. And this is the price you pay. And there, there's another factor too that uh, that we might that we haven't brought up yet that I think I was going to bring up later for Zach Wheeler, and that's Brian Price. We don't know what the new pitching coach is going to do with Aaron Nola's pitch utilization or what he's going to have him focus on. So I guess that I mean, in my mind, that's usually going to be a good thing. I kind of trust Brian Price, and I've heard good things about Brian Price. Uh, it could also have the adverse effect, but I, I would bank on it being the reverse. Can we talk a lot? And, and that's going to be interesting as a whole with the Phillies, only because and uh, Alex, I think I may have sent you. I think I sent both you guys this article and it was a, a talk about Zach Eflin yeah. uh, because yeah. there was a there was an article that talked about hey you know Eflin the uh, Chris Young who's now I saw he, Chris Young now got a job as uh, he's doing something in Major League Baseball yeah uh, yeah right? he took uh, Joe Torrey's old job yeah there you with, go uh, uh, Hundley and uh, what's his name the the Gregor Blanco 
There you go. So that was, but last year, Chris, there was an article that said that Chris Young made Zach Eflin throw more forcing fastballs and he was getting beat up and, and he's like, no, this doesn't work. But like the pitch data didn't back it up at all. And then he said, oh, he had success later on in the year, but he was throwing so many sinkers. and like, his numbers were negative, but somehow he was able to survive. He had so much luck going this way. And so it's like, here you have a pitcher who's basically ignoring his pitching coach and saying, I'm going to do stuff the way I want to do it. And because the results were good, even though the process sucked, he's like, I'm just going to keep doing it. Uh, and so you have to wonder if that cascaded down with some of the other guys and hanging out be like, you know, Chris Young's full of crap. You know, I'm getting good results. And so I'm curious to see uh, as a whole, what Brian Price is able to bring to the, to the, uh, to the instru- the pitching instruction with the major league staff because if one guy on the staff is acting like that you have to wonder if, if that kind of attitude was pervasive throughout behind the scenes and we just don't know about it yeah it's interesting he's got some weird away splits because i mean he got murdered on the road which isn't necessarily pitching in philadelphia you would think he would have some you know maybe some bad luck at home uh, yeah. a 519 era on the road with a 403 xfip uh, his ground ball percentage was over 50% on the road, where he's a 33% guy, you know, in total. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the kind of the new defensive situation, adding Gregorius, having Segura over at second, Kingery at third, but all three strong defenders. Uh, I think that there's, I, I, I'm not expecting, like I said, a 2018 breakout for a guy like, uh, or a rebound, or return to 2018 numbers from a guy like uh, Nola, but I think 2017-ish numbers, like, I, I, I think he's going to have uh, uh, a uh, a pretty decent season, and, and 15th pitcher overall, that may be a little rich, but I think the safety uh, from a guy like Nola kind of uh, warrants maybe taking a shot on him there. And I think here's here's how I can sum up last year in a nutshell real quick. You know, from 16 to 18, from 2016 to 2018, Aaron Nola allowed 15 home runs on the road. Last year, he allowed 15 home runs on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you said, he got punished on the road last year for whatever reason. But it, you you pointed out ERA, like his road ERA, 488, 424, 241 two years ago, and then 519 last year. So the truth, like you mentioned to 2017, that feels, yeah, that's a good, that's your baseline. Your low fours on the road, but for whatever reason, home road, who knows? But the fact that the the long ball just killed him on the road last year uh, is just crazy. Uh, And that's when you go back and look at a guy like, why did things not go right? We have the third time through the order issue and we have his road issues. I mean, these are things that are fixable. If you well, if you I, I don't know because if you look at the the nuance of those road issues, all of them are interdivision. The, he gave up six earned runs over three uh, against Washington, and then once again got hit by the Braves, and then got hit by the Braves again on the road, and then got hit again by Washington on the road. Those are uh, a majority of the five earned runs or more starts he did on the road were coming in the division. He had one poor start in San Diego, uh, but a majority of those are in the division. That's because San Diego always happens. Everybody pitches poorly there, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's the Colorado start. Really? Yeah, five, two, five and two thirds, nine hits, three earned runs, two home runs. I mean, that's a quality start in Colorado. Yeah. All right, we're uh, we're running up on close to an hour, so we're gonna do two more guys. Uh, first, I want to talk about Mike Soroka, another guy that uh, high up in the ADP. He's going as like an SP three right now, I believe. Uh, but 
the projection systems hate him. So the question mm-hmm. becomes, Jason, do you believe what we saw last year or do you believe the projection systems? Yeah, so I wrote all the projections and that's why the projection systems hate him because I honestly, I do too. Uh, yeah, this would be one of those guys where maybe I'm, out, I, I didn't look. I didn't look at the projections when I was making up my own opinions of of uh, Soroka this year. Like I included him on my bold pro, uh, predictions about reasons why I don't like him. Uh, and for me, it's like at the time I wrote the pr- uh, prediction, he was going 105th overall and was a 34 starting pitcher off the board uh, at the time. And he he's young. That's the crazy thing. He just turned 22 at the end of last year, and so he's going to be pitching as a 22 year old. And when we look at what's being projected of him. There's not a lot of guys that have thrown 150 innings at the major league level at age in their age 22 season. And I, I found 13 guys. Uh, most recently, Jack Flaherty uh, is, yeah, Jack Flaherty was the most recent example before him, Herman Marquez at 162. But even Flaherty was 151. Uh, and I don't remember what I'm seeing for the projections of Soroka, but they certainly feel higher than that uh, in innings. And for me, it's with him, if you're going to, think he pitches fewer than 150 innings he's already not a strikeout guy and so that's a problem and I think it would behoove the Braves for his long-term success if they don't run him out there a lot because of the 13 guys I listed eight of them had major arm issues shortly thereafter and missed time and so with him he threw 184 innings last year as a 21 year old between AAA and the major leagues I'm concerned he's got burnout issues uh this year and they they should pull him back but uh that's really where i'm looking at it and saying that you know historically he's been out there yeah i know he's got a clean delivery commands a strike so is very efficient with his pitches but i'm concerned there and when i looked at uh actually the projections i looked at some of the projections there they had him projected 190 innings and to me that's that's insane but 190 innings and 157 strikeouts and some guys that were going around that time Wheeler, Bumgarner, Montas, Lynn, Rodriguez, Max Fried, and Kyle Hendricks were all going after him, at least 15 picks later than him uh, in the draft. And of all of those guys, I think Rodriguez and Soroka are similar in risk profile for me. But if Soroka's not going to pitch to 190, we bring him down to 150 or one, you know, maybe 160 tops, that brings his strikeout rate down. And all of a sudden, his strikeout rate is, is you know, about average for a 12-team mixed league format. And if he's only going to pitch 160 innings and his strikeouts now come down to, say, uh, you know, 135, then you can't spend a top 110 ADP pick on this guy. Alex? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, it's important for us to remember that he's probably going to have a, a, a fairly good infield defense behind him last year the Braves finished top 10 and infield outs above average um, but then again they're losing Josh Donaldson at, at third base so that's pretty important because I know he was above average defensively for them last year as well um, I, I think there's going to be some regression with that sinker and and with that slider as well um, he was pretty he was pretty good with that slider I mean it had a 41% K rate but I, I've been looking into this thing called uh, put away rate how efficient he's been yeah. uh, there with that slider and he had a 25% put away rate on the slider which is not that efficient. Uh, it's a little bit below league average, meaning that guys were fouling it off or they weren't really chasing it that much. Um, so there could be some regression there. So I kind of worry. I worry about that. And so if you add that into the innings pitch concerns that Colette's talking about, then yeah, taking him at that price uh, is is assuming a lot. It's, it's hoping that everything is going to go the exact same for him. And now that there's been a full year of that slider, which is his really only go-to K pitch, uh, you, you figure there's going to be some regression there. 
I think there'll be a little bit of regression, but I'm not as uh, scared of Soroka as you guys are. I, I understand. I'm not going to project him for more innings than last year, but if you project him for 160 uh, with pretty strong ratios, and, uh, you know, I mean, he's he's obviously not a huge strikeout guy, but he's your third starting pitcher. He's not a guy like, you know, if you're pairing sure. it, you know, in labor, Paul and I paired uh, Chris Sale and can't remember who the other guy was. And then we got Soroka as our number three. And, you know, like that's a really nice start to your rotation. Uh, and mm-hmm. the Braves need him. <laughs> the Braves need him to pitch. So uh, maybe they, uh, maybe in like a quality start league, they start pulling him a little bit earlier, especially since they've strengthened that bullpen uh, a fair amount. So they, you know, that was their big issue last year was uh, was bullpen issues. Now they've got Melanson and they've got Will Smith and Shane Green and Chris Martin. Uh, like they've got a lot of guys to kind of shorten up maybe how long Soroka has to go into games and how long Fulton Evich has to go into games. And if Sean Newcomb's actually going to be a starter, how long Sean Newcomb's got to go into games. So uh, I think that maybe we won't see him get quite as many innings pitched per outing. But I mm-hmm. think overall, I think he'll, you know, 160 mm-hmm. innings, great ratios, enough strikeouts uh, that he's worth a SP3, especially if you get a strong SP1 with high strikeout numbers. I, I totally agree with that. But I think that he's perfect for an SP3, in my opinion, because but where he's going, I think a lot of people are taking him as SP2. And there are guys behind him that I feel like have more upside in that role, like Carlos Carrasco, who I'm, I'm a little bit high on this year, who I think I'd take over him. But as a, as a number three, I think that's great, especially when you have some risk in one and two with a lot of K upside then he's good to pair with. Yeah, I currently have him, let's see, I I sorted by online championships from January 25th, so that's uh, like 14 drafts, Uh, he's the 37th pitcher, obviously that includes some relievers, so I'm going to count him off, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, Uh, yeah, he's going out inside the top 30, yeah, I think that's a mistake, that's that's where we have an issue, so if he falls outside of the SP twos then i'm okay with it but yeah i I don't know that i would want him as my sp2 all right let's finish up with everybody's favorite character and that is trevor bauer Uh, bauer is coming off of a very disappointing year uh where he he really really struggled kind of reverted back to the guy we used to know him as he's gonna be in cincinnati with driveline guys uh helping him out on a daily basis so alex what are you doing with Trevor Bauer? Is he a stay away for you or is he a guy that you're buying back in on? Um, I'm buying back in on now that I think that the price has lowered pretty substantially. I mean, in some cases, um, I, I think that I do believe him when he says that he was injured a lot last year. I think my opinion about Bauer is he's always been such a tinkerer that he's always going to be, you know, fluctuating between very good and very bad. But I think I really do believe we saw what the actual floor was. Uh, for him last year. It's funny because he actually got more whiffs on that fastball than usual, both in and outside of the zone. The contact rate was the best it's been in years. It just got hit really hard, really hard when it did get hit. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some positive regression for that fastball. Um, His true F strike is where it usually was. It definitely makes his 2018 look like an aberration. It was the only year he got ahead of the count more than 50%. But it was actually like he was doing a pretty good job getting ahead in counts. Um, there, you know, there were so many things that made him successful in 18, but it looks like one of them was just setting up fastballs. Well, uh, he got ahead in the count so much there. So I think if he could continue to maintain that, I, I, I think we're going to be able to see, 
more success from him. He's not going to be that two ERA guy anymore. I mean, I think we all kind of believe that that was just not going to happen again. He's not going to be able to put it uh, uh, put it together again over that full course of the year. But I think what was my projection for him? Yeah, I think he could be like a, a high three ERA guy with like a 1.18 or two whip and get you a lot of Ks. So that's pretty nice to have. Jason? It's funny when you look at him, that, that 220 ERA stands out like a sore thumb, though. You know, mm-hmm. 4 2, 4 5, or 4 2, 4 6, 4 3, 4 2, 2 2, and 4 5. <laughs> it's like, what? Getting to the point I was making about the Phillies earlier about coachability and pitchers, you guys know how much, like, I want Derek Johnson to adopt me because I have I have so long been a fan of, of the the results of his pitching instruction from what he did with guys at Vanderbilt to Chicago, Milwaukee. He's been all over the NL Central, right? And last year, this was the reason why when Sonny Gray went there, I'm like, oh, I am all in on Sonny Gray. That's what I want to believe can happen this year with a, with, you know, yes, Bauer got traded to Cincinnati later in the year last year, but with a full winner of a, hey, this is what you should work on. Now, there were concerns when when Arizona traded Bauer to Cleveland. They did so because Bauer's like, I'm not listening to you idiots, right? And But when you look at what's in Cincinnati between Derek Johnson and, and Kyle Body there, and that's who Bauer's been working, like all the pieces are there for him to be successful again. Uh, and it's, and right now, like price wise, he's going 84. He's a 29th pitcher off the board. Uh, that's not pr- that's not a barrier to entry for me. I mean, he's going right there in front of uh, Jose Barrios, uh, going right after Brandon Woodruff. He's going after Granky. I mean, I, I'm not seeing a lot. And there's Paxton falling, which makes me so sad because I was really high on Paxton this year. Like I, he was going to end up on a lot of my teams, uh, and that's just not going to happen now. But, but you're the innings pitched guy, and you are going to have Paxton because the price with the way with the price was, I was still going to have Paxton. Okay. I wasn't going to overpay for him, but I was going to alleviate that. They were going to be 155, 160 innings, but they were going to be really damn good innings. That's where I that's where I was. Uh, like I I did his player write up. I think I did it for Rotowire and ESPN. <laughs> it talks about how he's going to. I wrote it in December. I was like, God damn it. Uh, so now look, I think hopefully they've adjusted it uh, at this point. But all the pieces are there for Bauer to be successful. Uh, it's that piece from the neck up, how much of that's going to get in the way uh, of him. To, you know, to your point about the tinkering, he could throw like a 15 pitches if he wants to. Uh, but let's get with a program. And I think they they have set him up for success. Uh, I think he I think he can get that ERA back down, uh, back down in the threes. Uh I'll selfishly say I want it the mid threes because it is the National League. You should be able to do that. Uh, so give me, put me down for like a three six ERA for Bauer this year. And three six ERA with all, the amount of strikeouts he gets uh, is not yeah. bad. I, I think what you have to do, and uh, Alex really nailed it. I, I've always said that uh, Trevor Bauer is the pitcher version of BJ Upton. Because BJ, <laughs> BJ Upton would uh, like get oh into this stroke and like he'd be like, oh, he's got he's got it figured out. He's really got it timed out. And then he'd go tinker with things, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. he'd you know go over five four straight games. Uh, yeah. It just it was it was maddening because you could see the talent and you go if you just stick if you just find something that works and stick with it, then you'd be fine. Uh, but it just like I think he's too smart for his own good sometimes. So yes, uh, like he's one of those guys that. I wouldn't mind having as my SP2 if I had DeGrom, you know, or if I had Cole. If I had, mm. if I took an elite pitcher as my SP1 where I felt, okay, this guy is really safe. But there's no way, like, 
you can go draft Severino and then draft Bauer. Like that's like you're just setting yourself up for failure. Or you know draft any guy with any sort of injury risk and then draft Bauer. Uh, it just you're just there's too much risk. You know, Drac Flaherty in Bauer is not a pairing I want, or Chris Sale in Bauer not a pairing I want. Uh, but if you get one of those guys that's stable, Verlander, Degrom, uh, Cole, Scherzer, uh, even Walker Bueller, and then you uh, grab Bauer, I think you're you're giving yourself a really nice floor with your first guy, and then some really nice upside added on with the second guy. So uh, that that's How- the direction I would go. How about this? Like, it, based off that plan, though, like if we're if we're thinking NFBC style drafts, could you afford? Does that almost lock you into like I can't take a closer uh, until the seventh round type of situation? Because if you're looking, I agree, I fully agree with you that you've got to you've got to find a good safe handcuff that uh, Bauer. You can't plan on him anchoring your staff, but you know. So if you look at some of the safe handcuffs, like what's your cutoff point? If you look at the current starting pitcher list and say, okay, this is my comfort level. Like, for me, it's like Luis Castillo, like his teammate. That's and He's the 12th pitcher off the board. That's like, I need to have somebody Castillo or better in order to take on Bowers and SP2. But, I, I mean, I think it's not even, you know, Castillo better. It, it's got to be a guy that has, you know, because I would much rather pair Bauer with a guy like Kershaw, um, where I feel uh. like I really know what I'm going to get. As opposed yeah. to a guy like Strasburg, who is probably going to be great when he pitches, but who knows how many innings we get. Or a guy like Chris Sale, who is going to be great when he pitches, but how many innings do we actually get. Uh, so I think it's less sure. about where a guy is going and more about like how many innings can I project. Or what's the floor on this guy. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that's the pairing. And I mean, in terms of like NFBC, we're seeing a lot of guys either start two starting pitchers or take two starting pitchers in their first four rounds. So I don't think it's a big deal necessarily to then say, you know, you grab Bauer, you know, pick 80. Like, that. that's fine. Like, if that's your second starting pitcher, that's great. You can still grab a closer soon and then load up on offense. So, All right. Well, that is going to wrap us up for this episode. Uh, Alex, remind everybody where you reached and uh, let people know what you're working on. Yeah, uh, so you can find me on Twitter at AlexFast8. And uh, coming out this week, I've got this article about put-away rates uh, and how it explains that gap between uh, swinging strike rate and K percentage. Uh, So I'm excited. Come check it out. Uh, Jason, what are you working on? Uh, Surgery. I have to have wrist surgery on Wednesday. Uh, Jesus. Oh, yeah, man. related. Well, it's from the it's from the scooter, believe it uh, or not. It's oh my it's, god, really? Yeah, never-ending injury. The the rehab and everything is. I I have uh, for any medical folks listening, I have uh, complete tears of the TFCC in my wrist, uh, and they've got to do some of that and shave down the bone a little bit uh, from some damage. So I I've I've been. Uh, l- very limited range of motion with that for quite some time, and, and we've tried everything else, and this is the the next course of action. So I have that on Wednesday. Uh, I don't expect it. I, I'm going to be day to day. I should be good to record next Sunday. Shouldn't be a problem at all. Uh, but yeah, I'm day to day this week, so I'm looking forward to that day off in the middle of the week because this has been an exhausting weekend. It, it was my wife's birthday this weekend, and uh, the, the aforementioned tornado uh, threw a big curveball into everything because three o'clock on Friday afternoon. Uh, I got a notice from the place saying, hey, we still don't have power. We obviously can't host your party tonight. I was like, oh, So I had to run around, find another place, got it all taken care of on, on two hours notice. Uh, and then 
you know, yesterday we went uptown, met some friends, had a nice dinner because she's on call Valentine's Day weekend. So we kind of combined birthday and Valentine's Day all into one weekend. But I need a day off for my weekend. Uh, and so Wednesday is going to serve as that. So they can put me under as much medication as they want and get this damn risk <laughs> taken care of. <laughs> uh, and then uh, let's see. You can reach me on Twitter at uh, Justin Mason FWFB. I almost gave someone else's Twitter handle right there. I don't I, I, I are, you, are you okay, dude? Yeah, I've been up all night. So, uh, you know, the seven-hour draft yesterday, an hour of sleep, and then uh, working all night. So, uh, but that's going to change soon because I just got a new job that's going to have me sleeping at night and working during the day, which will be great. Let's are you going to know how to function? Are you going to know how to function? Uh, it's yeah. it's, it's going to be weird. Uh, so. I mean, I've known you. I've known you five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And you've had this insane sleep. I call it sleep schedule i'm sorry nap schedule yeah uh as long as i know you <laughs> well it's funny too because i was telling uh someone last night like i've never had the same work schedule as my wife you know we've been married for 10 years and together for 15 and i've always worked an opposite schedule that she does and so uh that may be the recipe for divorce that i've gotten a new oh. job yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna but... make the joke people ask me how sarah and i have stayed together for almost 18 years now and it's like well i was traveling for the first 10 of it so yeah, exactly. i mean that's how it happens uh so uh let's see stuff going on uh friends fancy benefits draft guide just came out it's almost 500 pages uh you can get it on amazon oh. on ebook um or uh or you know uh paperback or you can, if you want a PDF, you can email me, justinmasonfantasy at gmail.com. PDF's, I think, $7. Paperback's $13.99. Ebook is $7.50. Uh, I'm going to be on three podcasts uh, on Monday. So, uh, obviously, this one. Uh, then I'm going to be on Fantasy Pros and Bat Flips and Nerds. So, definitely check out those. And uh, I'm going to write up the Barf League draft for, uh, I think, tomorrow. So, uh Hopefully uh, everybody goes and reads that over on Fangraphs. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's all I got going on. Not much. So. Not much, man. Not much. Not but, but, much. Well, before we wrap up, too. Also, mm-hmm. thanks for having me, guys. It's been very fun talking to you. It's been great. Always. Well, we'll call you every time uh, Caleb Smith get, gives up a home run. So I look forward to it, and I'll I'll call you every time uh, Jeff Samarjo. I, I don't I don't know. I might blow up your phone too much. So I think yeah. So no. just every other time. Yeah. And yeah. Justin won't be with us in Florida later this month, but at least we'll Ooh. all be together in New York. Yes. Two weeks after that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Awesome. Great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll 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 do something live from New York if if I have time in between like the seven drafts I'm doing there too. So. <laughs> all right. Well, that's gonna do it for all of us. Uh, thank you for listening, and we will. Uh, I think Paul and I will talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>